Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, December 1st. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. With coronavirus cases surging across the country, authorities contemplate new lockdowns in some areas. A new report highlighting the struggles facing school children here in the U.S. as the pandemic continues to impact education. And President Trump considering a run in 2024, even as he refuses to concede this year's election. This as President-elect Joe Biden officially unveils a historic new team. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The U.S. adding 4.4 million cases of coronavirus in the month of November as states get ready for an expected surge of infections in the coming days. Lorraine Casares has the latest on the pandemic and the race for a vaccine. Coronavirus hospitalizations mounting, now standing at more than 96,000, hitting record highs for the third straight day. Texas, California, Illinois, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, currently the states with the most patients. But in states like Wisconsin, the situation at hospitals so dire, nursing students are getting tuition credit to help with COVID patients. And in New York, the governor is warning that another major shutdown could be on the way. Every hospital has to identify retired nurses and doctors now. We're already experiencing staff shortages. Dr. Anthony Fauci talking to Facebook's CEO expressing deep concern for the weeks to come. The slope has done this. It's on an increment that is almost exponential, which is really dangerous situation to be in, particularly as we get deeper and deeper into the cold months of the winter and we have the Christmas holiday coming up. Urging the public to get vaccinated, saying he understands people's concerns, but the benefits outweigh the risks. So if you want to be part of the solution, get vaccinated and say, I'm not going to be one of the people that's going to be a stepping stone for the virus to go to somebody else. I'm going to be a dead end to the virus. The potential vaccine from Pfizer and another from Moderna could both be authorized for emergency use after FDA meetings in the next few weeks. We've been clear about the fact we're not going to cut corners. And the, the, the authorization process, although expedited, has very similar criteria to what we would use for the regular approval of a vaccine. In California, the governor says he's already gearing up to receive the state's share of doses. We uh, are anticipating 327,000 doses of the vaccine from Pfizer to come in in the next few weeks. And meanwhile, at the White House right now, Dr. Scott Atlas has announced that he is resigning from his position. He was one of President Trump's top advisors on the coronavirus. And during this time of pandemic, Dr. Atlas was a very controversial figure, often questioning the effectiveness of masks and asking people to push back on safety measures. Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. Now, meanwhile, the chief of staff for President Trump is expected to have a meeting today with the head of the FDA to discuss a coronavirus vaccine. Mark Meadows will speak with FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn today. 
According to a source, Han requested a phone call, but he was told Meadows wanted to meet in person. Two sources report President Trump is demanding to know why the agency has not granted emergency use for Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine. Pfizer applied for the authorization on November 20th. The FDA's outside advisory panel is expected to meet to discuss authorizing COVID-19 vaccines for emergency use next month. The president has publicly admitted to pressuring the FDA to move faster. And CVS and Walgreens are preparing to be amongst the first companies in the U.S. to give coronavirus vaccines if the FDA approves one for emergency use. Those vaccinations would take place in long-term care facilities, not retail stores. In October, the Trump administration announced agreements with both companies to give vaccinations to long-term care residents nationwide. Advisors to the CDC have called for an emergency meeting Tuesday. They will vote in part on whether to recommend that residents in those facilities be amongst the first in the U.S. to get a vaccine. A CVS spokesperson said they expect to be given vaccine shots at long-term care facilities in mid-December. And now to the latest on President Trump's battle against the outcome of the 2020 election. All six states where he contested the results have now certified Joe Biden as the winner. But the president continues to say there was fraud without providing evidence. All this as many congressional Republicans remain silent on the issue. Andrea Linares has more details. State after state now certifying Joe Biden's victory. As this is happening, President Trump is now turning on his fellow Republicans, furious they won't overturn the will of voters. Overnight, Trump taking aim at Arizona's Governor Doug Ducey for signing off on the results in his state. A win for Biden and Democratic Senator-elect Mark Kelly. The president tweeting, quote, why is he rushing to put a Democrat in office, especially when so many horrible things concerning voter fraud are being revealed. But Trump's legal team has so far offered no evidence. These election results are the result of a free and fair and accurate and secure election that was held according to Arizona laws. There is no evidence of fraud. Meanwhile, in Wisconsin, the state's election commission finalized the tally on Monday after recounts in two counties. The commission's chair signed paperwork certifying that Biden is entitled to the state's 10 electoral votes. And in Georgia, where Biden's victory was finalized over a week ago, Trump is still attacking Republican officials. As the state gears up for two runoff races that will determine control of the Senate, there's now growing concern among Republicans. His baseless, unproven conspiracy theories could cost them votes. The New York Times is now reporting that President Trump has raised at least $170 million after Election Day, after sending out hundreds of emails asking for support to contest President-elect Joe Biden's win. But according to the report, only a small fraction of small dollar donations is being used for Trump's legal challenges. The vast majority instead being put into an account which the president can use to fund his post White House political career. Some say that Trump has floated the idea of running in 2024 if his attorneys could not overturn the results of this election, according to Bloomberg.
It's been widely speculated that Trump may even kick off his campaign on the day of Biden's inauguration. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris was asked about the possibility of Trump running once again. Her reaction? She broke into laughter. A political poll released today found that 53% of Republicans said they would vote for Trump if he ran again. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that live report. Meanwhile, for President-elect Joe Biden, rebuilding the economy is one of his biggest priorities facing the new administration. Today, he's formally introducing key members of his economic team. And Edwin Pitti had the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Hi, Carolina. Just like Biden did with his national security team, today he's holding a ceremony in Wilmington, Delaware, to present those he's entrusting with the task of leading and implementing his economic vision for the country. This team is already being described as an all-star economic team. It starts with Janet Yellen, a former Federal Reserve chair. She has been nominated to become the Secretary of the Treasury. If confirmed by the Senate, she will be the first female to occupy that role. Meanwhile, Wally Adeyemo is set to serve as Deputy Secretary of the Treasury. Other appointees include Nira Tanden to head the Office of Management and Budget. Tanden is a former aide to Hillary Clinton and chief executive to the left-leaning think tank Center for American Progress. Her confirmation hearing could face controversy because of her personal and political attacks against Republican senators, senators that could question her views during the confirmation hearing. Cecilia Rouse, Dean of the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs, has been tapped to lead the Council of Economic Advisors. She will be working with Jared Bernstein and Heather Bauschi. According to Biden's transition team, they are ready to work from day one in Biden's agenda during the first 100 days, include a push for an ambitious new stimulus bill and also taking many executive actions to undo the Trump's administration's efforts to undermine key government agencies. In a public video published on Instagram by Biden's transition team, they highlight the importance of taking economic actions to help struggling families that are working hard and do not get the benefits they deserve. They do not believe in pushing for policies that allow corporations to grow at the expense of the middle class. Other important issues that will be tackled during his first 100 days in office are containing the pandemic and dealing with racial issues. Carolina? Edwin, before you go, what is known so far about the plans for Inauguration Day? Can we expect to see a crowded event? Yeah, we'll see about that. Just yesterday, President-elect Joe Biden assigned a committee with those in charge to plan the inauguration. The traditional plans that include stages in the west front of the Capitol Hill and also right outside the White House are still under construction. However, it is not clear how many people will be invited because of social distance regulations. Now, the New York Times is reporting that eight close to Biden are sending hints that most of the events around Inauguration Day could be just like the Democratic National Convention being done online and that crowds are expected to be smaller. Reporting live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Thank you for that report, Edwin PT from Washington, D.C. More of you news after this short break.
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. On Monday, the Justice Department made a formal move to pardon Michael Flynn. The DOJ formally asked a federal court to dismiss the case against President Trump's former national security advisor. The pardon appears to clear him of the legal consequences to the crimes he admitted to. It also clears him of all possible future prosecutions related to the FBI's investigation of him. The president announced the pardon last week. And from outer space to Congress, former astronaut Mark Kelly will be sworn to the Senate today. Kelly defeated Republican Martha McSally by more than 78,000 votes. Kelly is a retired Navy captain and the husband of former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. He and his twin brother Scott have also both served as astronauts. And students across the Houston area are having a difficult time studying from home and going to school in person. That's according to a report by the Houston Chronicle. And joining me now is a reporter, the reporter that worked on that story, Jacob Carpenter. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Jacob, in your reporting, you found that, quote, the percentage of students failing at least one class has at least doubled in several districts. Talk to us about those findings. Yeah, so we've talked with several of our largest districts here, uh, including Houston ISD, the uh, seventh largest district in the country, uh, where we've seen 20, 30, 40% of students failing classes in Houston ISD, uh, we saw 40% of students failing at least two classes in the first marking period. Um, so there's real concern about uh, the lack of student engagement, students not completing their uh, coursework and what impact that will have long-term. Now, Jacob, the problem is not limited to remote learners. Also students attending in-person classes are having a difficult time. Why is that? Yeah, teachers have a really hard job right now. They're having to focus on, uh, a lot of them are having to teach both in-person students and students online. And so what we're hearing from a lot of students, families, teachers, is that the quality of what you're getting in person just isn't what it used to be. Um, and so that's making it harder for students to, to really focus, to get the answers that they need, um, and know how to complete the assignments that they're being given. And now what are the greatest obstacles facing families, students, and school districts during this pandemic? There are so many obstacles that everybody is facing, whether you're in person, whether you're online. Um, here in Texas, they've done a pretty good job of getting everybody the technology that they need. There are still some students that don't have it. Uh, but really being able to be in a place where people feel comfortable having everybody back in the classroom that's really what's going to get, uh, get this back on track and, and allow teachers to really focus in a way that they used to um, in ways that are the most helpful for students. Um, and so that's going to mean uh, doing all the things that, uh, that all of society is dealing with right now of trying to uh, limit the spread of the virus. 
Now, from your experience covering education, what are the long-term effects of this high number of students falling behind and how can school districts tackle those problems? Yeah, there's real concern that, you know, just if these trends keep up, particularly around uh, students not passing classes, this could lead to lower graduation rates. This could lead to uh, students being held back, uh, having to take more summer school. Um, these are things that uh, a lot of our local school district leaders are having to prepare for now, um, you know, especially when they're wondering, how am I going to have to, how am I going to be able to pay for uh, having additional summer school classes? Um, so, you know, even talking to some of our uh, school leaders, they're expecting this is a multi-year process of catching students up. Um, you know, one said people need to start preparing. This is going to take at least three to five years of doing so many things to help students who have fallen behind. Well, thank you so much for your time. Jacob Carpenter, reporter at the Houston Chronicle. Thanks so much. And now turning to immigration, the Supreme Court on Monday heard arguments about the Trump administration and its goal of not counting undocumented immigrants as part of the 2020 census. Luis Mejid has more on this story. During 90 minutes this week, the Supreme Court considered whether Trump's plan to exclude undocumented immigrants from the census is or not constitutional. After the telephone hearing, some of the most conservative justices expressed doubts the idea is legal. A lot of the historical evidence and the long-standing practice really cuts against your position. Some even asked the government how would the undocumented would be counted and separated from the rest. There are only 31 days left in the year. Uh, to exclude the 10.5 million seems to me a monumental task. If the court decides excluding undocumented from the census is legal, it would have grave consequences diminishing the political representation in states with large immigrant populations. We have to say it's very uncertain what the outcome will be. I felt like the justices across the board were very prepared and asking very good questions today. Um, but uh, I think they did not disclose very much about what they were thinking. Attorneys from the ACLU fighting the Trump administration have no idea what the justices plan to do. El Departamento de Justicia dijo que no era tiempo para decidir. The census results should be ready by the end of the year, but they are being delayed for procedural reasons. If they arrive to the White House on Inauguration Day or after, the plan may be shelled by the new administration. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. A Colombian student who came to the U.S. with his family as a little boy has just become the first dreamer to obtain the most prestigious scholarship in the world. Azul Alvarez has more on his amazing journey. Santiago Tobar arrived in the U.S. at the age of four when his parents fled Colombia to escape violence. He lived undocumented until 2012 when he was finally able to adjust his status temporarily under the DACA program. He says he feels honored to be a dreamer. What I want is to be able to help this country in gratitude, and that is what this group of migrants, the Dreamers, do. The 23-year-old was always an exceptional student, and he proved it once again by winning a Rhodes Scholarship, the most prestigious international scholarship for postgraduate studies in the world. In September, he will leave for the United Kingdom to study international relations. I can't believe it. Maybe the day I'm already on the plane flying to Oxford, I'm going to believe it completely. Santiago is the first Latino DACA recipient to be named a Rhodes Scholar. According to Santiago, 
everything started when he met a teacher who changed his life, a Cuban elementary school teacher by the name of Marina Esteva. She really wrapped me up in a person who loves studying, and that is an influence to this day. Esteva humbly accepts the love of her former student and sees in him an example of what immigrants are capable of achieving. And he made it even with all the problems we have since they wanted to deport him. So that has been very big for me. And I think that is a lesson for the nation and for all those dreamers that are in limbo, because all of them contribute. Santiago's dream is to work in international relations and to specialize in China. He says he wants to help the United States get its relations with the East Asian superpower on the right track. His teacher has a simple message for him to continue giving his best and serving as an example. So that everyone knows that in Miami, in a small school of migrant children, it is possible to forge precious and divine futures for the well-being of the world. Reported by Lourdes del Rio, this is Azul Álvarez, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.